Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Two big topics in the news this weekend. We're talking about the coronavirus response as we hear from Indiana lawmakers and also the 2020 election with team coverage from your local election headquarters. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Spieler. And I'm Birchelle Edmay. In just a few minutes, we will check in with Adam Wren, who is reporting from South Carolina this week. But we start with Kayla Sullivan with a look at the latest results from last night's primary. Kayla? Guys, South Carolina's primary comes just days before Super Tuesday and a big night for former Vice President Joe Biden with Bernie Sanders in second. There are a total of 54 delegates on the line in South Carolina, but the win also brings some momentum headed towards Super Tuesday after big wins by Sanders in the last two states. Now this process could still take a while as any candidate who finishes above 15% in these primaries will get a share of the delegates. But next week will certainly be crucial. 14 states hold primaries on Super Tuesday. Guys? All right, let's turn to Adam Wren now in South Carolina. He's a contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly. Adam, Super Tuesday is just different altogether, right? Much bigger scale, more of a national election. What are the campaigns saying about the dynamics of that race now that Mike Bloomberg will be on the ballot in states where he's already been spending a lot of money? Well, that's right, Dan. It's really like building an Indy car at the same time that you're trying to drive it at 220 miles around the speedway. Uh, for the Buttigieg campaign, they're racing to, to try to race $13 million ahead of Tuesday. Uh, so far, they're uh, nearly halfway there. Uh, but for them, this is really more of an airway, air war at this point than a ground war. And they are really trying to uh, get up a two-minute ad, a bio spot that really introduces the candidate to parts of America that haven't uh, learned about him before. Uh, it's narrated by Kevin Costner. And so they're trying to raise a lot of money. They haven't quite hit the finish line yet, but they've set a really ambitious marker of trying to raise $13 million uh, in just a few days from now. So that fundraising, certainly a challenge here for his campaign, but Pete Buttigieg wasn't expected to do incredibly well in South Carolina, but could his efforts there pay off in terms of maybe trying to appeal to voters in other Super Tuesday states, especially in the South, where you know what, he's really struggled with African-American voters, or at this point, are they just hoping to survive off Tuesday? You know, that's right. They uh, have really seen him uh, perform above expectations with minorities, not only in places like Iowa, but also in Nevada. Uh, and if he can sort of, you know, claim that he's beat expectations in South Carolina, that could give him a boost going into Super Tuesday. What about the debate this past week? Do you think that created any lasting impressions of the candidates? You know, when you look at the polling before and after the debate and you look at the fundraising, particularly for the Buttigieg campaign, uh, you know, they raised uh, a couple of million dollars uh, in the 24 hours following the debate. The campaign said that they had uh, one of their best fundraising hours ever after the debate happened. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's looking good for them in terms of fundraising. However, they laid down pretty stark markers. Uh, they're saying that on Super Tuesday, they want to hold Bernie Sanders to 350 delegates uh, across the 14 Super Tuesday states. So if they're not able to do that, it will be pretty clear uh, to people who are following the campaign that they're not in a place that they want to be. Well, with everything going on, that race to the White House, it continues. Adam Wren, thank you so much for joining us with a closer look here at what's going on for Super Tuesday. Now hear a report from our Washington Bureau. Democratic candidates are gearing up for their biggest battle yet, Super Tuesday. 14 states hold primaries, including the nation's two most populous states, Texas and California. To win Super Tuesday, 
you need to have both those states under your belt. Texas has 228 delegates. Democratic strategist Paul Bell says a big win in Texas could catapult a candidate to the Democratic nomination for president. It's incredibly important. Uh, and you already see candidates that are out there. They've been out there for a long time now. Elizabeth Warren was on the ground first. Anthony LaMarino with the conservative think tank R Street Institute says former New York mayor Michael Bloomberg has made Texas a priority. Michael Bloomberg is definitely owning the ground. He has about 160 paid staffers throughout the state and 17 um, offices that he's opened. La Marina says Texas is big and expensive, so candidates are forced to make tough decisions as to where to allocate their resources. Senators Klobuchar, Mayor Pete may be struggling to actually invest in the state and focus on smaller states. In Washington, I'm Anna Warnicke. Anna, thanks. The other big story this week, the coronavirus concerns causing stocks to slide on Wall Street. This as the president puts Vice President Mike Pence in charge of the efforts to fight the virus. This week, Kayla Sullivan also spoke with Governor Eric Holcomb. President Donald Trump has no higher priority than the health, safety, and well-being of the American people. Now, Vice President Mike Pence is tasked with leading those priorities as head of response to the coronavirus. Well, look at the numbers right now. Uh, this is a, a remarkable turnaround. Governor Eric Holcomb says he has confidence in Vice President Mike Pence. He watched as he handled Indiana's HIV outbreak in 2015. He took unprecedented action in declaring a health uh, emergency down in Scott County, Indiana. And when you look at the statistics now, this is a before and after case study. And the rest of the story is folks are looking at how we did address that. Holcomb credits Pence's legalization of a needle exchange program as one of the main reasons Indiana was eventually successful in this fight. But many remember Pence's reluctance to allow the program. Here's Shane Avery, a family physician in Scott County, testifying back in 2015. We've not quarantined the infected. They travel in and out of county. And it's the governor's refusal to address this situation that I believe will result in Indiana's most historic failure in public health. Public health officials started to notice a cluster of HIV and hepatitis C cases in rural Indiana around November of 2014. Two months later, infections had reached 126 cases in a small area. But it wasn't until March that Pence declared a public health emergency and authorized the program under certain conditions. So I'm not going to critique Governor Pence on his performance. We were all dealing with that, the Indiana situation day by day. But I will say this, I hope he takes the experience he learned in Indiana and does a better job at the national level dealing with the pandemic that we may be facing with the coronavirus. He's not the doctor at the table. He's the organizer. He's going to be the facilitator. And he's very good at that. And I'm sure he's going to have lots of experts around him that will uh, have the proper medical opinions moving forward. Vice President Pence has had to deal with uh, addressing the HIV crisis in our state. Uh, I hope that he has learned from um, his approach during that period and he takes a stronger approach and a firmer approach this time dealing with our entire country. Here in Indiana, lawmakers are still working to legalize needle exchange programs. They've been allowed under certain conditions since Pence's approval in 2015, but the future for them is unknown at this point. Reporting from the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Kayla, thank you. Well, let's continue our team coverage with our Washington correspondent, Trevor Shirley, who spoke this week with Indiana Senator Mike Braun. President Donald Trump says the U.S. is winning against the coronavirus. Very well under control in our country. But he's asking Congress to approve $2.5 billion to fight the epidemic. I want to see more details, but I'm inclined to support 
what we need to do. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown says he worries the administration is more concerned with politics than public health. I'm concerned about the political people in the White House that don't really know much about this. The administration says the money requested, which is on top of the budget already put forward, shows its commitment to keeping Americans safe from the disease. The budget reflects how seriously we take the threat of other infectious diseases, such as the China coronavirus, by prioritizing funding for CDC's infectious disease programs. Indiana Senator Mike Braun says if the administration needs more than the $2.5 billion, he'll support it. I, for one, and I'm a very much a fiscal conservative, think that we will put the resources to it because those figures are small by D.C. standards. The administration has no plan to deal with the coronavirus. He says despite the pushback from Democrats, he was satisfied with the classified coronavirus briefing. I've been pleased with the containment and the ability to be ready to mitigate it. Reporting in Washington, I'm Trevor Shirley. Indiana native Ron Klain was the Ebola czar and served as Vice President Biden's chief of staff. This week he said, anyone who tells you we know how many cases we have in America is not being straight. We really don't know what is out there right now already. Last week we also spoke with Indiana Senator Todd Young. Coronavirus, pretty serious yes, uh, situation right. overseas. Uh, are we doing enough at the federal level at this point? Well, actually, at the federal level, just a couple of years ago, we appropriated a lot of money for a pandemic response fund. Uh, it turns out this was prescient. Uh, we are prepared for uh, this coronavirus, or, or at least a lot more prepared than we would otherwise be. We continue to be attentive uh, to this situation, working with the World Health Organization and others. I've held hearing, uh, a public hearing on the World Health Organization to see how we might optimize that organization to deal with crises like this. And whatever funding or other responses might be needed, I think the Trump administration stands ready, as do I, uh, to respond accordingly. We're very, very ready for this, for anything. Uh, certainly health care will be front and center again. Uh, this election year, the GOP lost the House in 2018. That was kind of the issue Democrats put front and center in, in terms of the attempts to repeal the ACA, the issue of pre-existing conditions as well. Do you want to see your party craft more of a specific replacement plan for the entire ACA, or are you comfortable at this point tweaking various provisions of our health care laws? Well, we can't tweak. We need to act boldly uh, in order to improve what is now the health care law. Uh, and and uh, I, I think it was a mistake uh, to only look at a, a wholesale repeal and replace. Uh, we, our backup plan should be targeted solutions based on uh, market competition to individual problems. And Republicans are putting forward those solutions. In contrast, it's the Democrats who want to repeal and replace Obamacare. In fact, they want to replace it with a Medicare for all system or a Medicare for all who want it uh, system, something that uh, would be ill-advised and frankly would result in a government takeover of our healthcare system. And that's our In Focus host, Dan Spieler, one-on-one -on -one with the Senator. Up next, I will talk more about the coronavirus with our panel and get their thoughts on the man leading that fight, Vice President and former Indiana Governor Mike Pence. Welcome back. It's time to talk with our panel about this week's top stories. Joining us today, Republican strategist Jennifer Hollowell, Democratic strategist Laura Beck, and Abdul Hakim Shabazz, a editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org, as well as Dr. Wilson, a political science professor at the University of Indianapolis. So we are just two days away here from Super Tuesday, but a big talker today and really throughout the week 
has been about the coronavirus and the response as well. A lot of scrutiny this week for Vice President Mike Pence. You heard the House Speaker say and bring up his HIV outbreak response then in 2014. Is he the right person for the job? I think so, uh, and here's why. Uh, some people give the, the, the vice president criticism for his performance uh, during the HIV outbreak. I mean, there was something Indiana had never had before. Uh, I think it's fair to say that they learned a lot, and actually did a pretty decent job at containing everything once they got the wheels in motion. So at the very least, the vice president knows what works, what doesn't work, and kind of coordinate the team. Well, he knows what doesn't work is to wait. Um, so, I mean, he did, he did learn that from the experience. I actually felt a little sorry for him um, because the way, Mike, uh, the way Donald Trump, President Trump, teed it up, it wasn't like this resounding um, sort of endorsement of what a great job he's going to do. Um, and so I, I feel like it's putting him in kind of a tough spot because if this thing really takes off like it's expected, uh, you're in a no-win situation. Politically, probably that's true. I, I agree with one of the things that Abdul said. He's gone through this experience before. And to your point, he knows not to wait. That's really yeah. important. It's always, I think, valuable to mention HIV outbreak is not the same thing as coronavirus and things like that. Um, it's certainly difficult, but also legally, the vice president doesn't get a whole lot of things to do. So this is something that he can work on. And if he has an opportunity, wants to run for president in the future, if it's a success, it could be something he can use. And when you look back, there have been a handful of times over the past three years where the president has tapped the vice president to lead on certain efforts. He certainly led on the effort for the United States-Mexico-Canada deal, which was a very, you know, difficult thing to get past and got bipartisan support. Uh, he's led on a couple of different issues, the, uh, the uh, peace agreement between Turkey and Syria. Uh, he was instrumental in. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And he's going to convene all these experts. Some Hoosier leaders are among them, uh, health experts. And I think that it will be a very thoughtful approach. Well, we know that he's obviously been tapped for this position. There's also the question of who's really in charge here, because we also know mm -hmm. the Health and Human Services, Secretary Alex Azar is a part of this, and then the Vice President tapped Dr. Deborah Burks as part of this as well. Do you think he's really going to be the one calling the shots? I don't know. Um, at this point in time, I actually, I hate to say this, but I really don't care who's calling the shots. I think what we need is we need to have a thoughtful solution that actually really addresses what has is becoming a global pandemic and is really impacting um, not just the national economy, but it has has far-reaching far-reaching um, repercussions. So I think as many people who are involved and as many people who have a seat at the table and as many people who can act really makes makes the most important piece. Whether he's the right person to convene that, I think that reasonable minds can disagree, but it's critically important we act and we act now. But one thing to keep in mind is, and with the coronavirus and you know, all the other outbreaks we had, whether it was Ebola or heck, West Nile virus, you know, back in 2001, 2002, you know, we, need, we shouldn't start getting into this sort of panic mode. One of my favorite internet memes has been, you know, keep calm and wash your hands. You know, and, and just, you know, America, you know, don't say no, it's not the zombie apocalypse. And, and please note, you know, there are 6 billion people on this planet, maybe what, 100,000 that have been infected. So uh, a little perspective, I think, is in order. I think somebody like Mike Pence can actually bring that, you know, to the table. And the role here is leadership. And so that's why I think this is the right choice. And also the United States is a lot different than China and other countries in terms of how we are positioned uh, with leaders that he, that he will be able to convene to make those decisions. One thing we can't ignore that Dr. Wilson brought up is the political ramifications of this appointment, what it could mean in 2024, because we're always looking forward. If this works out, what does that mean for a possible run for the vice president? If it doesn't, what does it mean? 
Well, I, I do think it's a collaborative effort and it needs to be, but it will be something that's tied to him. So if it's positive, then this is great. This is something he could use to that credit. Of course, if it if it doesn't turn out that way, I think there'd be that concern as well. His reputation could be in, on the line in this way. Um, because it's a collaboration on the plus side, you could always say, well, it was a group mm -hmm. effort. Um, but nonetheless, his name will certainly be tied to it. If it doesn't work, it'll just be Trump Haley in 2024 as opposed to Trump Pence. At All least, right. That's what the conspiracy theorists say. Well, let's keep talking about the campaign trail here because the vice president was on the campaign trail in recent days. Back in the Midwest, he spent time in Michigan where he caught up with our affiliate in Lansing with some harsh words for Democrats and specifically the Sanders campaign. Take a listen. Well, certainly, uh, it certainly looks like uh, Bernie Sanders is the front runner, uh, but we'll see more as uh, South Carolina Super Tuesday unfolds. Uh, but, you know, the reality is, whether it's Bernie Sanders who openly advocates socialism or all the other candidates who embrace the same policies, calling them Medicare for all or the Green New Deal, higher taxes, open borders, uh, we, we relish the opportunity to have that debate. Senator Sanders was front and center at the Democratic debate in South Carolina this past week. It was the last debate before Super Tuesday with former VP Joe Biden, hoping for more momentum heading into next week. Bernie and I agree on a lot of things, but I think I would make a better president. Bernie, in fact, hasn't passed much of anything. Imagine spending the better part of 2020 with Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. I'm hearing my name mentioned a little bit tonight. A lot of it. So that was the last debate before Super Tuesday. What did you see maybe in that debate that could possibly push either of these candidates forward as we look into these primaries? 14 states on Tuesday. Well, Joe Biden has a pulse, so <laughs> I was kind of wondering where there was, you know, in the last, in the last couple of days. But I do think, uh, and, and this kind of goes back to our conversation we had earlier about the coronavirus. When things get uncertain, one of the things that voters look for is some kind of certainty. And I'm not sure, you know, but someone like a Bernie Sanders, who I think the Democrats are right, you know, when you look at his record, you know, what have you done, what have you accomplished? You know, it's like a movie where the best parts are the trailers. Then you get to the movie theater, it's like, well, I can't believe I spent 15 bucks on this. And so I think for the challenge for Bernie Sanders is going to be, you know, when in, in trouble times and uncertainty, are you the person the Democrats can pick to lead? And they pick an avowed socialist. This is going to be like a Walter Mondale, George McGovern beating that the Democrats will get in 2020. I think that when we go back to the debate, I don't think that debate was really the best um, the, the, the best format. I mean, I think that was one of probably the worst debates I've ever seen. Now, I mean, you can't say anything because you've got Donald Trump. So we've seen a lot of your debates over the years. But it was such a horrible debate, and it, it really did not shine anyone in a positive light, and I think it was really just poorly done. That said, what I think is really going to ultimately drive a lot of this moving into Super Tuesday is money. Um, and then past Super Tuesday, who's got who's going to have the money to compete beyond Super Tuesday? And there are going to be some tough decisions that a lot of these candidates are going to have to have to put aside their ego and figure out how they're going to coalesce around a nominee. You talk and, about and I'm talking about I'm just talking about some of the other candidates up there who, if if your campaign is on life support because you're running out of money, um, it's just not going to magically fall from the sky. And you've got to have money to compete. And whether the whether they like it or not. Bloomberg is in the race and it's changing the dynamic in a really unprecedented way. And that's what I was going to mention here because you mentioned money and fundraising is certainly not a problem for him. $500 million spent on advertisement. The first time we will see his name on the ballot. Could he shake things up here? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, he's already running in my home state of Illinois, their primaries until March 17th. He's already running you know, television radio commercials in Illinois and it's still you know, six weeks mm -hmm. away. So I could easily see, unless, unless we have just a little meltdown, 
Mr. Bloomberg, stay in the distance. Yeah. Well, and he's really important ideologically because you have Warren and Sanders on the far left, and then you have everybody else in this middle cutting away at those. I think he does chip away at it, and the fact that he's chipping away at one point, there's a lot of other candidates there. It's going to make a big impact on Klobuchar, on Buttigieg, on Biden, on all those middle candidates who are trying to get that middle ground. They're Something fighting for a Bloomberg's, piece of Bloomberg's performance in this debate was a little bit better than the last one, but still, all of the money that he's been spending is kind of... Uh, eaten away at in his debate performances because they're not yeah. very strong and sure. I think that's hurting him and to me it just looked like Bernie starting to to run away with this and so if you look at Texas and California and some of these other Super Tuesday states where he right now is polling in the lead if if that is the case he'll be unstoppable a lot more to talk about here but coming up next the mayor of Indianapolis taking on apartment landlords and state lawmakers over the issue of renters rights we will explain coming up next a political battle in Indianapolis, the city moving forward with plans to protect renters from predatory landlords. Mayor Joe Hawks had signed two ordinances this week requiring all landlords provide renters a notice of tenant rights and responsibilities. But a proposal at the State House could put a stop to this. The House Judiciary Committee voted to add an amendment to Senate Bill 340, which would prevent cities from regulating landlord-tenant relations without approval by the state. If we seriously want to address the root causes of violent crime, we must address issues like housing instability and evictions. State lawmakers have two weeks left to finish this year's legislative session. A bill at the State House threatens to withhold state funding for Indigo unless it makes good on its commitment to raise millions of dollars in matching funds for bus operations. A tax-free foundation to raise its own money should have been up and running last September, but it's barely off the ground. The state Senate passed the bill. It now heads to the State House. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up after this. Joining you back now for this week's winners and losers. So who do you have? Uh, Joe Hoxett for pushing back against the Senate Republicans. Loser, Senate Republicans. Uh, my winner is President Trump because it looks like Democrats may nominate a socialist. And my loser is all of the bills that died in this week's General Assembly. All right, Dr. Wilson. I only have a loser this week, and it was the moderators of the debate. There were so many of them, and yet they could not keep the candidates in line. I just really didn't think it was a good debate at all. My biggest winner, the west side of Market Street, the State House, were stopping a ridiculous agenda from the city of Indianapolis when it comes to landlords, when it comes to homeless, when it comes to the red line. Biggest loser, the city of Indianapolis, for the ridiculous agenda that is pushed when it comes to landlords and tenants, uh, panhandlers, and the red line. All right, and with 10 seconds left, that will wrap it up for us here. Thanks for joining us here on In Focus. We'll see you back here Sunday next week.